Welcome back for another episode of Lead with Purpose podcast with me, Shishing Yang, where we talk about purpose, marketing, mindset, and how to launch, grow, and scale a purpose-driven business. Today we have a very special guest with us, Jackie Barrett. Jackie is the co-founder and MD of Wider Thinking. And Wider Thinking is an equity, diversity, and inclusion learning platform that delivers insight to understand behavior and also how to, and also deliver the data to inspire future actions. So welcome, Jackie. I'm really excited to talk to you today about uh, diversity, inclusion, and all of those topics that we haven't spoken about before on this podcast. Thank you. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me along. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So, um, so in this podcast, we generally talk about sort of people's journeys and what, what got them started and how they got into the entrepreneurship journey at the end of it and what inspires them and so on. So I'm going to go back to you work um, at BBC for like 15 years, right? Right. Yes. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that, um, the journey, what, what was it like to work there? And also... Um, what led you to change? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. so, so <clears throat> yeah, so I was at the BBC for about 15 years and um, it was a wonderful place to work. I absolutely loved it. I, there was, it, it, it just did everything for me. I was surrounded by wonderful people. I was really proud to work there. I was really stimulated and challenged and there were lots of opportunities for personal development and, um, yeah, I can't I can't say a bad word about it. I absolutely loved it. And in fact, I cried on my um, on my last day when I was going on maternity leave because I I secretly knew I wouldn't be coming back. Um, um. Yeah, so it, it was wonderful. And I worked in, um, I worked mainly for the channels, for BBC Three, a little stint on BBC Two, covering some mat leave. And then finally, my, my last stint was on BBC One. And I looked after the, the financial planning of the channel, as well as the scheduling. And, and I was involved in commissioning decisions. So there was lots of creative discussions. And um, it was a very creative role. But then also... I had a lot of spreadsheets to manage so it was um it was a perfect balance of everything for me I yeah I absolutely loved it there it sounds amazing so tell us a little bit why you left them because you were obviously very sad about leaving um, yeah so I um I worked right, right up until literally just the week before my baby was due to be born because I just didn't want to leave but um and then I went on mat leave but I actually knew that I wouldn't be going back because at that same time my mom had been diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's and she was really young this was her late 50s just as she turned 60 and I'm I'm in London and mom's in Leeds and yeah, I knew that I um, just wouldn't be able to manage um, a career as well as family. And um, I just, I had to make that call, what was important for me at that chapter in my life. And I knew that I would be going up to Leeds all the time, every week, pretty much with, with my newborn baby and just helping mum and her struggles and managing her care. I've got a sibling and he was brilliant. You know, we've got family, but it was uh, it was just something that I really wanted to do. Um, 
And so I ended up not going back to work and taking a big career break for, um, I guess it was probably about six or seven years all in all, because um, I had my first daughter and then yeah, mom was getting um, more um, more poorly with her dementia and she was sectioned. And so it was managing all of that care. And then I was also having lots of IVF to have to get my second child. And um, yeah, so it was kind of like career and work. I just didn't have the capacity. Fortunately, um, I had a little bit of a safety net financially and just kind of muddle through. Um, so yeah, I just thought I, I'll have a nervous breakdown if I have to manage any element of a career. So that just had to take a back, back seat whilst I was working at, just working through my family challenges and, and just being there for everybody. And I guess you were really blessed, really, that you could make that yes. uh, vision. Because I know that a lot of people can't. Yes, they, they can't, I was incredibly you know. lucky. I was incredibly lucky. And that, you know, thanks in part, I was to um, actually being made redundant and mm. um, and then fortunate enough to have um, my my husband was bringing in a minimal, you know, was bringing in enough for us to, to survive and just making lots of savings here and there. So, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to, to take that career break. And how did you feel then what, during that break? Because you're obviously a career woman uh, before then. Did you find that there was any kind of judgment around you not working and why you're not working? So on, because I didn't work the night while I had the kids, but I made a decision before they were born that I was going to stay with them as long as I could, which actually I'm still with them. I never went back to work. Um, Did you find that there was any kind of judgment from other people, especially people that other people that are have successful careers? Yeah, yeah. I was I was quite shocked actually. yeah, there was a lot of it, a lot of judgment. Actually, like it's bringing back so many memories. This is quite triggering. It was really, really. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was. I had just, ah, oh, just other like. It was a real mix of men and women, so there was no gender divide. But you know, I would have, I would have to constantly keep reminding people that I was also looking after my sick mum. Mm-hmm. Um, but because people didn't see that, and because I was kind of coping on the outside and smiling and being present, and and uh, yes, a lot of people kind of didn't really know about the fact that you know my child was not sleeping and she had really bad eczema, and therefore that affected her sleep, and then for I was surviving on no sleep but getting on a train going up to Leeds being with my mom all the emotional as well as physical and every other aspect and then coming back to London and then feeling bad about being coming back to London and then at the drop of a hat going back up to Leeds jumping on a train literally moving home so that we could be closer to um, the train station so I didn't have to cross London shaping another hour off my journey and um and yeah the judgment of people kind of saying things like that are calling me a lady who lunches um yeah just I actually remember having having this really awful discussion on my way to the grocery shop with um a local woman who was questioning if I was a feminist because I wasn't going back to work. And it was like, and I, and I said, yeah, but it's, 
and the fight for feminine the feminist fight is about choice and this is a choice that I'm making and and then she was suggesting that as a role model to my daughters that I should be um you know I should be impressing them with my career and I said my CV when it's when they're age appropriate my daughters will be blown away by my CV I don't feel that I need to do that right now and then um oh my god and there was like yeah just like some really kind and I was just I'm just on my way to get some vegetables and we just ended up having like this really kind of um yeah, just this a kind of typical tricky conversation about my choices and um, and about being a role model to my daughters. And also, you know, this person said to me, but, you know, when you want to get back into um, your your career, there's going to be such a huge gap. And like, are you not worried about that? And I said, no, I'm not. I haven't got the capacity to worry about that in the future. And also, I will be proud of saying why I took some time off. This is not a thing to to hide and to be ashamed about. I'm really proud that I'm taking care of my mom and that I'm taking care of my kids. And, and, and just because I'm going to have a gap in my career, I'm not going to go back to work just to not have a gap on my CV, that's counterproductive. That's not that's not the point. And um, yeah, so I did. I and also I think because um, you know mo a, a lot of women take that year off and then go back to work. So I think it was quite unusual for me to have um, a three year old and still not be working. This is before my my second child came along. There's a there's a just over a four year gap. So I was. I was kind of going around and um, yeah, and so my child was slightly older in that she was a toddler, but I was still not at work. And so yeah, I did face, I did face a lot of judgment of kind of just, uh, yeah, a lot of judgment. It was, I found it quite um, distressing that it was, and also a little bit of like, why don't you just support my choices or mind your own bloody business? Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, why, why is anybody else's business really what you choose to do with your life? And and also, why can't we just be proud of the choices that we make? And actually, just yeah. being a mum, why is that a bad role? Yeah, because I totally agree. And <laughs> and I do think it was it was just that whole argument about you know feminists fought for our right to go back to work and yes, that's wonderful. But also, that all the part of that is choice. The, the real fight is that women have have a choice and um, and that if there is a, a crossroads and a fork and things to be weighed up, that we have the choice, okay, like not counting the financial struggles and difficulties in certain choices that we make, but at least there is some choice in that we either choose to go back to work in whatever capacity we personally want to, or we choose not to go back to work. Or sometimes if we don't feel like, we really have a choice when it is care maybe caring for family, but at least, you know, there's all different versions yeah. of being a woman, of being a career person, of being a parent. And um, and that's the point is that that um, it's about choice yeah. and, 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 and either being kind to each other or keeping your mouth shut and keep I up. Know. I know. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. But and you, you after that, um, or was it during that you set up your um, company? Was Salient Future that you work with? <clears throat> yes, that's right. The process. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so as um, my mom ended, my mom was ended up in a nursing home, and we had some a really bumpy road there. The first place was um, neglectful, and then we found the most amazing place where I wouldn't have any qualms um, if I if if somebody else I knew and loved, or even myself, had to go there. That's how wonderful this this place was that we found. Anyway, so mum was settled, and um, childcare was settled, and I was like feeling okay I'm ready to get back into the game and so set up salient future with my creative director partner and we made um content around uh all the the things that we're passionate about um sustainability financial inclusion female empowerment um and it was lots of um taking something complex or dry and making beautifully crafted mainly animations uh, that might be like um explainer animations and that might be also for startups if they want to um support their pitch deck with a little 30 second animation for this complex thing that they they're, they're, they're pitching um or, or kind of big brand thought leadership around a particular topic such as loyalty or risk and um so yeah, that's so that was the first business that I co-founded, um, and, and still running that as well. That's our sister company. And then, and then as we realised, you know, all, all the topics that we were focusing on were all the topics that we really felt quite um, passionate about. And one of those then that kind of brought up the topic of unconscious bias. And we were developing an idea around building a toolkit for unconscious bias for one particular organization. And then the more that we were developing it and the more that I was learning about this subject, it re we, we realised, you know what, this is so much bigger than unconscious bias. It's, it's about equity, diversity and inclusion. Yeah, unconscious bias is an element within that. And, um, and, then, um, and then I thought, you know, what we need to do is rather than making this for one particular client, let's make a platform that we then can license out to as many clients as we like. So we've got this product and rather than it being this product that we give to one person, we own the product and then everybody can, can borrow it. Um, yeah. and, and so that's where wider thinking came from. That's, that's how it was born. I love that because we all go through as entrepreneurs kind of go through this yeah. journey of exploration. One thing leads to another, leads to another, and you don't know, you probably yeah. have a plan to get to wider thinking, right? So you were just setting up Salem Future to do what you knew and yeah. then this next thing. So can we just go back a little bit and talk about unconscious bias? Because what is that to you? Um, so, yeah. What, what happens in the, how do we experience unconscious bias? Because it's a really quite interesting topic. So something that we actually don't think about that much. Yeah, I mean, um, look, we, we all experience it and, and we all have it. And I mean, you know, Mar, the point that we get across in our learning platform is that, you know, it's not necessarily 
a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. it's just it's human nature, and 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 the point is, it, it's not to reprimand people for having unconscious bias. It's innate. It, it, there's no point. You know, you can't you can't change it. But what mm-hmm. you can do is build awareness that you have it, and um, and having that awareness is the an acknowledgement is the first step, and then the second step is just building an infrastructure around you so that you we offset each other's blind spots and we offset each other's biases. So my lived experience, my culture, my upbringing, my, my everything that I have done, or you know, all is in me and gives me a certain bias towards certain things it's just a natural thing and and then partnering with somebody else that is um has has different experiences then then we complement each other and, mm-hmm. and and so that's that's the point that we're making in our journey it's not it, it's not it's not bad and and you uh, unless it is bad if you let if, if you don't acknowledge it and you and you don't implement certain things and strategies to to offset it and and have that awareness but but in general you can't change it so so what you do is just build an infrastructure around you to to offset each other's biases which is which brings in diversity which is the whole Mm. point of diversity Mm. because it's within these unconscious biases that we have that we start we start to judge other people as well because we are judging other people based on our our own unconscious bias right So, um, so how does that help in terms of how do we work together to to have more diversity? Like, let's say in the workplace, what what sort of structures do you put in place? Is this something that Wider Think does? So you do me- you measure? How do you explain to me a little bit how the measurement works as well? Sure. Because I haven't seen that before, so I'm quite interested to find out more how we can measure our unconscious yeah. bias and then lead yeah. us to take positive action I mean that sounds amazing so yeah yeah, explain to us yeah well it's not it's not really about measuring our unconscious bias it's about kind of it's about measuring our diversity so so wider thinking um I'll tell you a little bit about it and then that might explain some of the some of those points that you're raising so so wider thinking is a, a we we do in-person workshops but we try to drive everybody to the to the online experience um just because it's more accessible people can go at their own pace we've broken it down into bite-sized chunks of learning um and we brought in all these specialists so we brought in subject matter experts we brought in user experience experts um we brought in creatives we brought in education psychologists because we wanted to really understand not just um, a box ticking exercise in like, oh yeah, you just rattle through this thing and then it's done. But we wanted to people to actually learn and actually remember. And so one of the elements of that um, is to make it a, a blended experience. So you read some things, you watch some things, you interact with some things. Another element is that of this is to have um, pauses for self-reflection and to allow to allow something to percolate and then you go back and there's a bit of a recap but you know you've had like a bit of a breathing space in between and so because if you just do this one-off training then the chances are you're not going to remember it in six weeks six months whereas if it's over a period of time and it's bite-sized chunks over um, a period of time and and you've got those little pauses for reflection and percolation in between then you just have there is more chance of it sticking and because it's been a, a blended experience. 
And so, and so that's what we have built. And then, and then also the, the, the topics that we have covered, it's not, um, now we're going to look at gender. Now we're going to look at ethnicity. It's more a holistic approach about mm-hmm. like we cover the basics, for example, what is diversity? Because I feel that even that, um, a lot of people believe it's either about um, ethnicity or gender. Mm-hmm. And we um, remind people that it's also about, for example, age, socioeconomic um, mix. It's about visible and invisible disabilities. It's about neurodiversity. So it's, it's like all these elements um, of diversity. And then we look at topics such as allyship and groupthink and blind spots and masking at work and um, privilege and belonging. So we look at all of these really interesting topics. And then within all of that, we bring in all, for example, business case studies. Uh, this is an organisation that that failed due to groupthink and blind spots. This is an organization that thrived and became really successful because it pivoted due to its diversity and ability to kind of think differently. And um, so anyway, that's the journey. And we've got some curated TED Talks in there, but also within there, the measurement and the data, which is what we mentioned. So within there, we have anonymous surveys. And and with those anonymous surveys, we pull out the data, create a report and give that back to an organisation and say, this is who your people really are. And this is what they really think. Um, What they really think is about the culture. And I'll come back to that in a second. But this is who your people really are, I think is really interesting because what we have found with a few organizations is two interesting things one they're a lot my a lot more diverse than they think they are mm-hmm. and that is because um they don't realize there are people at work who are code switching or masking so people who don't feel um, included don't have a sense of belonging and therefore and masking certain um, characteristics or uh, traits or just something about their their self-ID and that might be that they're dyslexic or ADHD or that they're trans or they're gay or you know all these many aspects of diversity and so um, and so that's I think that's really interesting and then the second thing that we we find is quite interesting is that our data doesn't often often mirror their own data. So they so we've worked with clients who say, oh no, we've done our um, internal surveys and we kind of know, you know, or our our DNI mix. Um, and actually, we actually demonstrate show them that they are more diverse. And um, and what's happening with a lot of internal anonymous surveys is that people still feel a little bit nervous because it's it's an internal survey and no matter how anonymous it is people are still a little little bit apprehensive of saying for example that they're ADHD or that they're dyslexic or you know anything and because if you're 
this is going to probably go to HR. And then in a few months time, I want that interview for that promotion or that appraisal. And, and actually, will they know that I said that I am this? And therefore, so people are still a little bit um, uncertain about disclosing that, whereas we are an independent third party. And so we give that extra level of anonymity. And and, and, and so by telling us we're fully GDPR and everything else, but by by by, by telling people tend to feel a bit safer telling us rather than an internal anonymous survey so I think that's really interesting so um, do you still think that happens sorry um in within workspaces that I mean mm. I think that diversity is the thing that we are becoming much better as being inclusive and we also know that actually diversity is good for for things like groupthink and innovation right so yeah. how is this still going on a lot that you can see in companies that they will um, on purpose um, exclude people because of a certain way that people are thinking, their values, their beliefs or the way they live? I mean, without a doubt, yes. Yeah, sadly, yes. I mean, that, that, is, that is still the case. You know, the more we're talking about it and the more that we can drive awareness, um, but there's still a, a lot of work to be done. I mean, don't get me wrong, we've we've come a long way, but um, but certainly there, there's still a still a long way to go in terms of fully embracing diversity and making people fully included. And uh, yeah, yeah, we, there's there's still a journey to go, and it's quite interesting because. So we work with organizations that are small and huge. So it doesn't, because of the nature of how we can just scale our learning, we can work with an organization that's 100 people or 50,000 people. It, it doesn't matter. But um, I was speaking to a client recently and, and they said, oh, we're actually quite, a, they were a small organization, kind of below 100 around 100 people and and this person said oh oh that's quite interesting because um you know I know when we get that report will it be not as anonymous will it be really obvious because we're a small a smaller organization um and she said it's really obvious who if it could you know when it comes back that there is one gay person it's going to be really obvious who that is and I said you don't know. She said, it's, it's, she was saying, it's really obvious who the gay guy is at our workplace. And I said, this is your own bias because there may be lots more gay people in your organisation. <laughs> and <laughs> it doesn't have to be that obvious. Um, and actually, the more senior women feel that are less capable of coming out at work. And the more senior a woman is, um, there definitely is a sense of feeling less capable of coming out at work. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I thought that's really interesting that there was just that immediate kind of, well, it's really obvious who that person is. And, uh, and it's like, no, it's not that obvious. They're, 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 quite possibly more gay people uh, than, than you realise. It's just that, you know, for whatever reason, it's not obvious to you or to anybody. So I think that's, I thought that was really interesting. 
Yeah. I think it's quite fascinating. I mean, I'd love to see all this data that you get in. I'm just like, oh, what's going on in this company? What's going on in that company? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, the, the report that we produce is confidential for that organisation. And then it's up to them what they want to do with it. I mean, it's really... I mean, it, I just find it so fascinating, the reports that we do for them, because I think that data gives them statistical evidence on, on how to drive policy change. It gives them um, a concept of where the strengths and weaknesses are, because we also look at questions about the culture of the organisation. And it also, it also demonstrates um, change, because also it also really which I feel really passionate about is it really it gives employees an opportunity to have a voice and mm. I that's one of my driving passions is giving people the ability the the, the space or, or allyship or the, a voice a voice a voice a voice and 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 so yes yeah, so this this report we give it to an organization and then they can they might want to be feel really proud and want to publish some things publicly or but but also what we say to them is this is your year one this is your baseline this is the start of your 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 data and your measurement and and what this is doing is mapping where you are today so that you can you can evaluate your efforts tomorrow and so and so it's kind of and and what we do is encourage organizations just to come to it with a little bit of humility and and openness and and I think that um, brings your employees on board because what you're saying is we really we're not perfect we really want to drive change we want to we want to hear about who you are we want to hear about what you think and 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 we just want you and also uh, from a budget point of view if an organization has just got a very small budget that it wants to that it that it's um um that it, it's little pot of dni money then you want to make sure that you spend it in the right place because mm. data <clears throat> is only useful when it's as true as it can be yeah. And so, so if, for example, you're doing an internal survey and it brings certain things back because people are still not sure, it will set you off in a totally different trajectory. Whereas, you know, we, I would argue that we help get you the, the truest data possible, which means that you can spend the money where it should be spent um, and, and just in, invest in EDI more effectively. Yeah, that's yeah. really uh, I, I think it's a really useful tool. <clears throat> you also talk a lot uh, within your work about equality and equity. Can you explain the difference between that? I don't know that much about it. So I'd like to learn more about sort of the difference between equality and equity and how that kind of comes across in workplaces as well. Yeah, sure. So, so I think um, there's a, there's a certain element of not people not, really been sure about what the difference is and um equality is where everybody gets the same thing yeah and equity is where everybody gets what they need to be successful or to feel included and so and so they're very different things and equity is about fairness and so I try to kind of like bring in some really simple analogies to help people kind of realize what I mean. And, yeah. and the most simplest one I can think of is if you think about you've got a whole bunch of athletes and the coach gives everybody 
the same pair of trainers. That's equality. Mm-hmm. Equity is where the coach gives everybody a pair of trainers that fits them. And so you see the difference. Yeah. So yeah. it's that everybody's everybody's getting what they need to be a great runner. Um, and then, and then, shall I give you some more examples? Yeah, no, I, I really like that because actually that, that really helps. So equality is not necessarily the best thing, but equity is in that case, because we don't want just a pair of trainings that doesn't fit us. But we yeah. really make sure that it's the equity we're looking at. Yeah. Uh, we, so we, okay. yeah, give us some more examples. Another, like another, okay, another example is, so supposing you're, um, you're planning the space for a public building. And so you um, allocate the same amount of space for um, toilets. And so then this is this equality is when um, men and women. okay, and suppose that, you know, we've got separate um, access for people with disabilities toilets Mm -hmm. but supposing you want to divide it up where these are the these are the male toilets these are the female toilets and equality is giving them the same space that's equality equity is realizing that actually female toilets need a lot more space we've we all know that i mean not even just women but even men when they walk past that queue you know they you know you go to any uh, theater <laughs> cinema nightclub uh, everywhere we all know okay, <laughs> so annoying place, but my goodness female toilets need so much more space and yeah. so i think that's actually you know that that's that's kind of one of I, I guess the one that we can all relate to. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. because we're all chatting in there talking about things as well. Yeah, but also, but on a more serious note, women do take spend longer in the toilets. And first of all, we need cubicles because we just need cubicles. And second of all, well, there are many reasons. There's the chat and the lipstick, certainly, but there are also, it's women are more likely to be the person taking somebody else to the toilet with them, therefore, which is, you know, and I know men do take children to the toilet and men do do changing, but in general, it's usually women that take people yeah. with needs whether that's your granny or you know or or your baby women usually spend longer in the toilet because they're taking somebody else and I'm not dismissing I, I I totally appreciate that men do that as well women we have periods we need longer in the toilet women we are more pro, more prone to bladder problems either when we're um, pregnant or when we've had children therefore we need the toilet more women are more prone to water uh, to UTIs therefore we need the toilet more often and mm-hmm. so there there are there's a whole list of why we need um why we're in the toilet longer mm-hmm. and obviously the logist the the biological thing about why we need cubicles as well so so equity is where you give a lot more space to those toilets so now, uh, moving from toilets, um, yeah, with equity. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what about equity? So, the equity pay gap. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Because we we bang on about equality and fair, you know, fair wages for women and so on. But how does equity pay gap work? Yeah. So, mind. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's it, it's it, it's about the concept of paying people in similar job functions with comparably equal pay, regardless of gender, ethnicity, age, etc. And it is more complex because you have to weigh other factors um, such as experience and education and responsibilities of the position. But um, but it's but yeah, so it's it's it, it, it's complex, but um, but, you know, that if if you've got similar, you know, men and women in similar roles, for example, in an administration or secretarial role, it's just it's about paying everybody the same and and equity at work. I know I'm, I've kind of talked about, uh, you know, toilets and trainers, <laughs> but um, equity at, the, at work is is just it's so important. I, I argue that it, it, it's you can't have equality if you if you haven't got equity and and equity at work means, for example, building development programs that are inclusive um, of health conditions or disabilities, uh, employees that are neurodivergent, that if they require supportive work conditions to help them strive, making job, job descriptions accessible, having transparency around um, the wage range for different, for different positions, um, skills-based hiring, uh, rather than focusing on uh, a particular uh, somebody, people, for example, needing to have a degree, not everyone has access to higher education, and this shouldn't bar them from opportunities for work if they've got the the skills necessary to do the job. So, skill based hiring um, instead of focusing on on a specific degree. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah. Even even you know equity at work. Even things like um, events based uh, incentives, which centre around alcohol mm. or something that needs a formal dress code or or a ski trip or a resident or going off for a jolly for a few days. It, it's it's those type of things that it, it's not necessarily um uh accessible for everybody and and doesn't necessarily make people feel fully fully in, included and so and so it's about equitable access for all all employees uh, mm. access to resources access to opportunities uh physical space materials making every you know a wheelchair friendly for example not all desks should be the same because if a if a wheelchair user uh, needs a desk then their desk needs to be slightly different people um who like i said neurodiverse neurodiverse people might need um with sensory issues so it's it's just kind of making accommodations that make it uh, the workplace accessible for everybody and this is what um what your measurements helps with so that you can start to implement these things that you see lacking within the organization yeah that's right so so going back to that that report that i was talking about and the data yeah. that we provide so so yeah we 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 prove we show an organization this is who your people really are and this is what they really think and 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 what they really think is around you know uh, the people's perceptions of the reputation of this organization how much they feel included if they feel that this that this organization has blind spots if they feel 
for example, the, the talent pipeline, does that reflect senior management, which we know in a lot of organizations, it doesn't. Um, there's more diversity uh, towards the bottom and the more senior, for example, the board, you know, male, pale, stale. Um, so, so yeah, we that, that report just helps highlight the strengths and weaknesses in an organization, but, but it starts them off on a journey. And um, yes. more importantly, it just gets the conversations going, going back to the point about giving people voices. It's about demonstrating that you're interested and you wanna hear what your people think and you wanna hear about who they are, as, as, well, as, kind, as well as giving them the, the tools, this learning journey for everybody to really understand what is allyship, what are blind spots, what is groupthink. And so, and so, so yeah, like, so for example, we, we, the point of us making it accessible for everybody is that we have felt some of this type of learning because of budgets and logistical constraints is just for management and that's not inclusive. So we have built something that we want the most junior person and the most senior person to have this experience. So that if you're at an away day or if you're in a team meeting yeah. or anything, if somebody says, hang on, is this a bit of group thing? Everybody knows what you're talking about. Or if someone says, have we got any blind spots here? Everybody knows what you're talking about. And, and everybody understands what allyship is and everybody understands what intersectionality is. And so, so yeah, we make it as inclusive as possible. And um, I'm, I'm sorry for so going back to the point about the, the report and the data. This is their year one. We say this is your baseline. And then this will give you, going back to the point that it gives you the tools to open up conversations and to start your journey of where things need to, to change. What we, people are not obliged to, but we encourage people our clients to come back in a year or 18 months time do a little bit of a booster jab a booster learning but then repeat surveys and that is when you've got measurement of where we were then in 22 or 23 and this is where we are now and then you you've got these valid consistent metrics yeah. that you can proudly demonstrate to your people to your communities to your competitors yeah. to your whole all your stakeholders just how serious that you are taking EDI and that mm -hmm. everybody actually knows what is EDI and mm -hmm. yeah just everybody knows what equity is um so so yeah because if you don't measure it how can you improve it right and it's often if we, you don't have clips through the net right yeah, we, that's yeah. our mantra. If you, you, how can you change something? You, you need to measure it in order to change it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's exactly our mantra. Can I just bring you back to something else that you mentioned a few times? So you say that it's very important for you um, to give people a voice. You mentioned it actually several times now. <laughs> <I> that, <laughs> is that, is that, would you say that is your purpose within your your current work or maybe previous work as well? I don't know. Do you feel like that is something that is really strongly driving you forward in your work? Yeah, I. I or where I think, did that come from? Yeah, I, 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 I. It turns out I'm really passionate about that, and I didn't know it until I came across example things in my life where I just thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, and so I think, I think it, I, I think the first kind of fire in me was my mom and uh, the, 
she was in a situation where she was being neglected and mm-hmm. we immediately took mum away and um I, yeah it, gosh I've not talked about this actually but anyway well I have talked about it you it. mentioned it now three times in the last 10 yeah. minutes I and, have to ask her about this yes no and and so th- there was a situation where my mom was getting neglected and we removed her and the social workers and the care quality commission were all involved and and they said um, oh I'm so sorry they said um oh you can relax now you know, your mum's in a good, safe place. And I said, no, I can't relax. There are lots of people in that nursing home who don't have a voice. And yes, my mum was surrounded by people visiting her and taking care of her. And But I'm not leaving anybody behind. I saw people didn't get, there were people there who didn't have visitors and people who didn't have a voice. I am not just taking my mum and walking away. And I fought and fought and fought for the people who didn't have a voice and um yeah and anyway this place got into a lot of trouble and had to make big changes and I think that is the first kind of I don't know if it's always in being in me but I can't when I look back I realize you know I'm I was really passionate about people who didn't have a voice and then and then for example in in lockdown when you know, when the world went crazy, I real I read about, I actually read it in Wired magazine, an article, which was before it had hit us, it was an article about in Italy, people were being taken away to hospital and then not seeing or speaking to their families again mm. and, and dying. And it was like, and I was just like, oh my God, this is insane. And then it was happening here. Um, and I just thought, in this day and age, how is it that we can have people going into hospital and they cannot see or speak to their loved ones? And mm-hmm. um, there's a huge digital divide. We think everybody has got access to a smartphone and access to credit, and we have not. And so I launched a campaign called Hashtag Tablets with Love. And this, and I just... Um, badgered a lot of big organizations to make bulk donations of devices tablets where people could make video calls and then we distributed them to 25 NHS trusts around the country and so there was one on about 500 wards around the country um because you only needed one on a ward for people to make video calls and and so and yeah and so I really wanted people to have a voice people because you know we all read about doctors and nurses using their own phones so that people could speak to their loved ones and the nurses were under enough pressure as we know under enough pressure financially as well as everything else and so yeah I just thought I can't believe these people in this day and age don't have a voice and so I launched that campaign. Amazing so that is actually kind of parallel to the work that you're currently doing giving everybody a voice even if you are excluded Um, so I think that's amazing so now thank you so much for talking about inclusion and and uh, diversity and all of this Um, how do we find you how do we connect with you if we want to implement this within our workspaces I don't have to do that there's just me and the kids here but how do we, I'm sure they want a little bit more equity as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
Um, so well, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so, well, I'm Wider Thinking, so check out widerthinking.com. Email me, Jackie at Wider Thinking, J-A-C-Q-I. Find me on LinkedIn, Jackie Barrett, B-A-R-R-E-T-T. Um, yeah, and reach out to me and we can have a chat and um, we can, you know, I'm happy to give free access to people. I'm happy to run a pilot for a small group in your team, if that's what you would want initially. Um but um, I do find that I don't want to kind of like big myself up too much, but when people see what we've got, it's pretty impressive because my background was the BBC. And so that mantra of inform, educate and entertain runs in me. And, and we have made this learning journey, not only educational and informative, but entertaining. Like mm -hmm. our feedback is genuinely people are enjoying it that it's not some like I don't know compliance or health and safety way just a bit like uh, uh, let's just yeah. get through yeah. this um, yeah. we're finding yeah it's got humor in there it's got it's got lots of elements in there that out yeah lots of feedback about how much even the most cynical uh, <laughs> are enjoying it which is which is what my quest is get those cynics in and um and I'll convert them Oh, it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. <laughs> I must I must check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time, Jackie. It was a pleasure to talk to you about something yeah, that actually I'm not that much that aware of. I'm obviously aware, but it's not something that I had to deal with that much because I'm not from a sort of more corporate environment. But it's it's fascinating to hear yes. your stories and your comparison. I, I love the toilet talk, by the way. So <laughs> much yeah. and i will yeah. speak to you very soon oh thank you so much thank you an absolute pleasure thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it and if you would like more tips ideas and thoughts on how to launch grow and scale a purpose-driven business and also hear from other purpose-driven entrepreneurs about their journeys please follow the podcast and remember lead with purpose